Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. We have today Richard Gobert, the lead singer of Panic Stricken, a widespread panic cover band who will be performing in Oxford at Proud Literaries on Saturday night after the Ole Miss Georgia Tech game. We talked about his career in music, how he became interested in starting a widespread cover, widespread about how he became interested in starting a widespread panic cover band, the band's history, and how they've taken off since. They're playing shows in Jackson on Thursday night, which will have happened after most of you listen to this, Memphis on Friday night, and Oxford, of course, at Proud Letters on Saturday. So awesome guy, really interesting dude. I really enjoyed the conversation. We recorded uh, as he and the band were in a van from Austin, Texas, <laughs> heading to Mississippi to uh, start their little mini tour of shows. So awesome stuff. They're uh, big time. They covered for the real widespread panic, which you will hear in this podcast. And uh, really just great people. Awesome guy. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think you will too. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit is located off Old Taylor Road, just a less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus. It sleeps eight comfortably. It is gated. It has amenities such as a tennis courts, sauna. It's a great place to be. It can be hard to find a place to stay in Oxford, particularly on big weekends. Maybe you're just coming through for a business trip. Hey, maybe you're coming up for a midweek basketball game. Got the basketball season tickets coming up. There's all kinds of availability, including Vanderbilt weekend for football. Check them out. RentTheSipOxford.com. Bracken Ray, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. It is a prime location, less than a mile from campus, straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vaught Hemingway Stadium, and of course, an easy walk to the pavilion as well. You need to check it out today. Go to RentTheSipOxford.com to check availabilities. If you use the promo code RippyWrites, R-I-P-P-E-E, Rights, R-I-T-E-S, that'll get you 100 bucks off any two-night minimum stay. Please check this out. Don't miss out on the opportunity. You always hear about it. it's hard to find a place in Oxford. I'm giving you one in a prom location at a terrific price. Check them out. RentTheSipOxford.com. Podcast is also brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is an award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and South Alabama regions. Seaspire is proud to announce the release of their new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, for one month of free service. That's right. You're going to get the best internet on the market. I use it. Can't be having bad internet doing the podcast and all the other stuff we got going on here. It's the best in the market. And just for listening to this podcast and using the promo code RIPPY, you're going to get a month of free service. Take advantage of that today. Cspire, customer inspired. All right, here is Richard Gobert, the lead vocalist for Panic Stricken. All right, we now welcome on Richard Gobert, the lead vocalist for Panic Stricken, a widespread panic cover band based out of Austin, Texas. This might be one of the more unique interviews I've done as you are en route to Mississippi now in a van with what you said is most of the band. How are you doing, man? I appreciate you joining us. Oh, man, I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, so- we- 
I got to ask, who's operating this van? Have you, have you ever podcast and driven before? That's some hell of a multitasking. Uh, not me. No, we got our, our wheel man, Brady Ray, on the, the driving. He uh, has trucking in his blood. As we say. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Uh, he's, our, he's, he's our bass player and, uh, and a vocalist as well. And so we got a few songs he'll be singing too. So we're pretty excited about this trip. Uh, first time in Mississippi. Uh, not for a lack of trying, I suppose, but uh, yeah, we're starting off in Jackson at Howland Miles on Thursday. Showtime's at nine there, and then we're gonna head on up to Memphis for a little bit because we played there before, and those folks have to come back. So we're pretty excited about that. We're playing at a place called Growlers, and then we are uh, finishing things off at uh, Proud Layers in Oxford, Mississippi, uh, after the Georgia Tech game. Probably be starting about ten. Or so there, and uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, I used to work at Proud Larry's when I went to school at Ole Miss, and so it's uh, been a kind of a, a thing I've been wanting to do for a long time is uh, get the project up there. It's taken a few years, but Scott finally uh, booked us there, so we're really excited about it. That's awesome. It's uh, it's certainly a great spot to catch a show. You mentioned obviously earlier, and I knew when we were going back and forth that you went to Ole Miss in the mid to late nineties. Where are you from originally? Beaumont, Texas. Okay. But uh, my my uh, father, uh, my mom and dad have a lot of family in Mississippi and roots there. My dad went to Ole Miss. My grandfather went there as well. And so uh, uh, I was the only one of his three kids to go as an undergrad. My sister ended up going uh, to grad school there. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of Ole Miss time. Was it your uh, typical yeah, out-of-state Ole Miss student experience where my fiance went to Ole Miss? She's from Texarkana, Texas, and it was one of those things where she was just touring schools. She got to the campus and was like, this is where I want to go. Is it similar for you, or what made you decide on Ole Miss other than the family ties? Oh, well, you know, uh, I visited and loved it. You know, it's, uh, they got that saying, you know, if you don't want your kid to go to Ole Miss, don't let them visit. It's, uh, Got that thing for it, but also had some scholarships and stuff like that. But, so it was a really good decision in terms of uh, uh, where I wanted to go at the time. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it's, 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 when I went there, it's a lot different than it is now. You know, uh, it was uh, a little smaller and uh, not quite as much uh, money and development in that is in there now. And it kind of had a little bit more of a hippie vibe, and a little more integration with it with the townies there, but, uh, you know, it's funny uh, looking at the evolution of it all, just mostly tied to football, I would say. Um, I mean, back when I went, you know, we fielded interesting teams, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, definitely, uh, definitely outmanned for the most part the whole time I went there, but there were some several uh, good times to be had there. Uh, I guess uh first full season was probably uh, – it was 93. And uh, had a really good defense. Got to watch uh, Cassius Ware and uh, uh, Dwayne Dotson just completely wreck people. I think uh, when they made Eric Zire cry, that home game at Georgia. But that was either 93 or 94. I can't remember. But that was a pretty fun moment. Uh, offense was just abysmal then, uh, couldn't score a point, but we could stop people from scoring. That's about what we could hang our hat on there. You know? so, um, you'd uh, go, go ahead. You mentioned the town. 
changing. I went to school here. I grew up coming here. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. Grew up coming to Ole Miss games. And it's changed since I've been here. I got to college in 2013, graduated in 2017. Uh, was probably a bonehead for not finding a way to take a victory lap, but ended up in grad school. But I remember my freshman year, about five weeks in, was when they first started selling cold beer. Like the all the gas stations were getting ready for it. Then I'm you know here for six years. I move off to Dallas in 2020. I came back and took a marketing job here in summer of 22. And it's even more changed since then. I mean, I, I came home from work today as I have the last like eight days and there's traffic on Highway 6 on a Monday and Tuesday. It's growing, which is a good thing. But even in you know the decade or so I've inhabited in this town, it's changed a bunch then. For you, when you were in school here, this is a town with a lot of creativity, a lot of writing, a lot of arts, very good, you know, I would say low, I don't know about low key, but very good, like niche, small town music scene. Was it the same back then? Were you into music back then? What was kind of the music scene like in Oxford when you were there in school? So then, um, you know, that was the cool thing. Like I got to see Arl Burnside in, in person, uh, T-Model Ford, and, um, and, and it, it, see those legends in person several times. Actually, RL played at Proud Larry's probably uh, once every couple of months or more. He had kind of a residency there. Sort of. I used to work there and uh, made pizzas for him and all his family. I, I forget how many how many kids he brought down there with him, but it was a shine. And then Kenny Brown played with him, which I mean, I guess you probably know of him. He he was his uh, kind of lead guitar player. But since RL passed, he's kind of carried the torch playing. And uh, he'll take the blues music, and uh, and Junior Kimbrough. That's another one I got to see in person. And so getting to see those guys was kind of a culture shock of sorts for kids in Beaumont, Texas. I mean, you know, there was some blues, but it was didn't have the I don't know what it was. They just didn't have quite the mystique or the unique sound that those guys had. And uh, of course, that's also, when I got into widespread panic, I never heard of them until I went to Old Mills and had a roommate from Georgia who were on an album for me. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and then I didn't really get into it until I saw them in concert. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's when that kind of took off. And as far as playing goes, I mean, I had some guys that I went to school with there that we played, but we didn't really make much of it. I was mostly an observer at that time. And, uh, of course, saw a lot of the Kudzu Kings. Love those guys. Jeff, uh, Tate and Dave and Robert Chaff and Mike's. And, uh, yeah, they, they played a ton and they did some pretty legendary stuff. And even went, saw a few road shows with them and sold some merch for them. So, uh, hoping, uh, hoping I see a couple of those guys when they come into town, that's for sure. Absolutely. You know, you say... You, you say it's changed a lot. I have not actually been back to Old Miss since uh, the Obama administration, so I, I'm I'm expecting to uh, see see quite a quite a few quite a few changes. It'll 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 certainly be different. It's uh it's a lot more people. I mean, the game day weekend's still the same. I imagine even back then on a game day weekend, it was like this town's not really equipped to handle this, but they somehow make do seven Saturdays of fall every single year, despite it. For you playing wise, though, when was the like? What was the first instrument you played? When was the first time you realized you had at least a, a knack for you know playing music and playing instruments? How did that start for you? Uh, so my brother got me a guitar when I was in seventh grade, 
and uh, got me some lessons. That was a big birthday present that he gave me. And uh, shout out to Britt. And um, and I, you know, I stuck with it, but I, you know, I was terrible forever. Actually, I probably still am kind of terrible. Yeah, some of the guys I played with. We'll see. Uh, but uh, played played quite a bit, mostly by myself for years. And um, you know, played with some folks in college. Um, I think we had one one bar show. It was not very good. Uh, didn't really, I guess, you know, kind of professional-ish level. Didn't really start going until I left Old Miss. And I uh, went back to Beaumont for a bit and played at a guitar duo with uh, one of my old friends from high school. He was really good. And I was his side man most of the time. And I sung a few numbers myself, but we mostly did harmonies. He held down the rhythm and I played lead. He also uh, would blow up. He had a, he had a harmonica stand and uh, did cross harp leads while uh, playing this really distinct rhythm guitar where he thumped the strings with his thumb and kind of slapped the guitar a little bit. Yeah, we did uh, all sorts of stuff there. But I did that for about three years and then went to law school. And uh, so we stopped after that. And uh, played some music with some guys in law school, but I was a little too busy studying to really do anything serious about that. Um, met my wife in law school in Houston, and then we moved up to Austin about 2008. And I didn't do anything musically for several years. Just kind of played played at home. But I don't know. I don't know what happened. Around uh, 20, 2013, I started trying to find some people to play with, and uh, formed a couple of bands doing Grateful Dead covers and other good stuff, and. But eventually, uh, so Austin has got this thing. Uh, there are a lot of tribute bands there um, that are really good. I mean, there's an excellent Talking Eggs tribute band called Heartburn. And uh, <clears throat> they played all over the country. They're absolutely spot on. Very good. And uh, there was a Fish cover band and several Dead cover bands. and. There were no widespread panic cover bands, and I absolutely loved widespread panic. So uh, I said, you know, why the hell not? And I found some guys, and we played our first show in 2015, and I've been doing it ever since. And changed some members over the years, but the current group of guys, I guess we got uh, all together about 2019, and uh, been, played a lot of really big shows with these guys, and we're uh, super excited about it. Bringing some wide, spreading the gospel of widespread panic, as we say. Uh, I love so, the way you described that on the on your website. For you and your that period of time you mentioned, where you met your wife, you went to law school. Uh, we're in Houston, moved to Austin. You didn't do anything musically for a while. What were you practicing as an attorney then? What were you kind of doing when you weren't? Yeah, playing? and I still do. Yeah, so um, I, I, I went to Austin and got a job with the attorney general there. And I uh, moved on to some other state agencies over the years. Now I work for the Department of Insurance. So, um, but it's a state job's good, good pay, you know, all that, and lots of flexibility, uh, which is is uh, what helps me do this. So, uh, but it, all the guys in this band, uh, except for Connor, uh, are have a have a full time job doing something else besides music. 
Connor is a, our drummer, and it was just absolutely amazing. And uh, he plays in a lot of bands. And uh, yeah, I've got to, I've been really lucky to get with these guys that are here. They're all very outstanding musicians in their own right, and they have their own original bands for the most part. And um, and uh, it, it it actually has just uh, enhanced what we do quite a bit. Um, you know, we we focus on playing, getting all the important parts right for these widespread paint songs, but then kind of putting our own our own little uh, twist and vibe on the jams in between. And uh, so far, so good. It's uh, really worked out well. And uh, we're gonna, these three shows we're doing, we're doing no repeats, just like we would if you're you know, watching all Square Panic. So you've got the time, I encourage people to see all three. But uh, the thing I'm really excited about with these guys is uh, showing them, showing them uh, I've been bragging about Oxford, Mississippi for, I don't know how long, I've been talking about Oxford, Mississippi, y'all. <laughs> yeah, at least, yeah. Far too long for us to have waited this long to make this journey. So uh, we are, um, I'm excited to show them what it's all about. And they're going to take in this scenery at the grave. So, you know, we're going to park, park our equipment and get that stowed away and head on down to the grave and check some things out before we have to load in and soundtrack for our show hilarious, but really excited to show them all that. And, uh, and, and you know, might actually get some people uh, that don't follow Ole Miss to pay, pay attention to an Ole Miss football game a little bit. Uh, speaking of, uh, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts. Uh, I mean, I've, I've obviously read read quite a few of them, but uh, what do you think about what's going to happen this weekend against Georgia Tech? I think Ole Miss probably gets right a little bit after last week. Um, I think they win with relative ease. Georgia Tech's improved. They got Haynes King, the A&M transfer quarterback, and they were pretty pretty uh, dynamic for pieces of that opener that they had against um, Louisville offensively. They just couldn't really stop anyone. I think Ole Miss probably ends up winning some game like 42-24-ish. The line's about 19 and a half, so that's kind of right. So I think – It'll be a little bit of a get-right weekend for Ole Miss before, uh, obviously, they go to Tuscaloosa and things shit starts to get real, for the lack of a better phrase, the next weekend. Ole Miss just needs to get healthy, particularly at some skill positions on offense more so than anything else. But yes, I think they they'll do. play better and more cohesively offensively than they have the first two weeks. Yeah, I I, I, I kind of wonder what was going on with the running game last week. And my opinion on that is, is not so much personnel. It's, it seemed like um, – the coaching staff, for whatever reason, was wanting to force things on the ground. Maybe just as a matter of seeing what we could do. Uh, I was pretty aggravated, though, with the fact that Tulane was committing so many men in the box and running safeties up and slanting and doing some really aggressive things on the front seven. And, and we not, you know, call some – plays that would take advantage of that recklessness is what I've been today. I mean, it's, and you, you know, it's a casual observer. People are like, oh, Lions just got their ass whipped with a lot of scrimmage. And true to a certain extent, but at the point of attack, some guys looked a little bit lost. But, I mean, when you're bringing, bringing six, six guys hard 
and still bringing two in the box and trying to send Judkins up the middle there. I mean, it was just kind of a fool's errand, you know. And, uh, so that's kind of frustrating to watch. I think it was a schematic thing. I also think, in my opinion, I think that uh, we have not really done very much to vary our approach to running, either in formations or uh, uh, pre-snap motion or anything like that. And I think that a lot of uh, a lot of teams have a really good idea of when we're going to run the ball out of certain formations especially. And I think they call the plays. And it's like, I mean, I felt like in the running game against Tulane, uh, it felt like they were a little bit in our huddle or, you know, metaphor obviously we don't know but uh, they were definitely in our heads what do you think yeah I think there's absolutely some of that to it and I think that's why there will be a little bit of a correction this week is you know for the entire Kiffin era if I have to hear another TV announcer say you know you think of passing when you think of Lane Kiffin's offense but it's really running I'll probably just puke He's led the SEC in rushing in two of the three years he's been the head coach. They pretty much for a few rare exceptions kind of run on everybody and I think last week they got caught a little bit flat-footed because, again, they've had so much like automatic success running the football pretty much for his entire tenure. they got a couple new guys on the left side of that offensive line. They're playing a couple transfers over a returning starter and a heavy contributor in Eli Acker, and things weren't going very well, and Tulane has a really talented defensive front. And so I think they were a little shell-shocked that they didn't have success running it early. And then the fact that Trey Harris, who was clearly their best receiver through five-and-a-half quarters of football – leaves the game two drives in with a supposed knee injury. I think they were kind of caught in between and unsure of what to do. Like their bread and butter wasn't working. And then they were kind of naked a little bit without their uh, top receiver. And it took them a while to get adjusted because they did adjust in the second half and they played much better offensively in the second half, really pushed the ball down the field. And I think that is a piece of it to what you're talking about schematically is like, I'll be interested this week. It's like, how did they kind of change that? They know they struggle a little bit more than they thought on the offensive line. They're still a little bit injured pass catching wise. How do they kind of manufacture running yards, whether it's in like a screen game and kind of a supplementary run game and just how, they, how they're how they different running the football, kind of knowing what they have on the offensive line. I also don't think the offensive line will be that bad going forward. A couple of new pieces. They're still kind of moving some guys in and out. And so that's why I think yeah. there'll be a little bit of a correction this week. I think last week for the first time in a while, and then you added injury to it, they kind of just caught caught in between two things and they lost their identity for about a quarter and a half. And they're they're lucky Tulane did not have their starting quarterback because that deficit could have gone to 24-7. Oh and we're be talking about a different story there. But you got to yeah, give them credit. 27-3 in the second half, That that's pretty strong, and that shows a culture and a resiliency I'm not sure they had last year. I completely agree with that assessment. Um yeah, very impressed with uh, the defensive production. But I think, you know, the irony in what you said is we're working into new guys on the left side of the line. It wasn't the left side of the line that stopped. It was the veterans at the right side of the line that were just awful. And I mean, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Our senior that's been there forever. Uh, he graded at 52%. Just no business. That guy has no business grading at fifty-two percent ever in a game. The guard, I can't think of his name right now. Oh, uh, Jeremy James, the oldest yes. guy. Yes. Yeah. What? What the hell, dude? That guy has no business grading at fifty-two. I don't know what was going on with him that day, but right, uh, that was that was definitely a problem. And then our right tackle, 
he was just getting lambasted on Twitter. I felt really bad for him. But, you know, his response to that was quite admirable. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just I, I expect them to play better. But I don't know so much it was their fault. I feel like it, you know, like it was a coaching problem. Uh, I mean, you know, it's 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 pretty hip to to pile on to uh, Charlie Wise Jr. And uh, but I don't know, you know, people say he calls plays, but I don't mean, think Lane Kiffin really calls most of the plays. I mean, that's that's my opinion. He certainly has a lot of input on it. And uh, you know, I think fans are frustrated because they want to see Quinchon Judkins just explode on people. I mean, that's. I mean, that's, I want to see that. I've been waiting to see that in both games, you know. It's a, it's exhilarating to see a running back run break off a 60-yarder, you know. And I think that will happen eventually, too. Like, I, I think it it was, again, I think you'll see a much more revamped running game this week and, you know, a little bit of correction. And that was, a, and at the end of the day, it was, a, it was a dangerous spot to be in. That's a really good team that won a ton of games last year. You're in there on-campus stadium, and you kind of get caught a little bit flat-footed. So it'll be it'll be an interesting one this weekend and kind of a test primer for Alabama. For you, I'm curious. So when you you mentioned in 2014, I know you guys played your first show in 2015, you decided to start Panic Stricken. It's not the same at all, but, like, I have a little bit of a similar life experience in that I got out of media full-time in 2020 – Moved to Dallas and took a marketing job. My girlfriend, now fiance, was there at the time. I was really just kind of looking for any excuse to get there and have a little bit of different change of scenery. And I got about eight months out there, and I was bored with the time off on the weekends. And I it basically come up with every excuse to not, you know, start a podcast or what ended up being the newsletter. And finally, I was just like, you know, all these excuses are bullshit. Let's just do it. Like, who cares who listens? Let's just figure it out and see where it goes and the way it's taken off since. And I've been very fortunate to have some great partners at rivals.com that have really been a game changer from an audience and ad perspective. But there was a part of me that just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I was convincing myself, don't do this. Don't do this. Like you shouldn't do this. And I was like, no, you should let's just do it. What kind of led you to get back in the music space and start a widespread panic cover band after six years away from really being involved musically at all? That's it's exactly right. What you just said is, you know, you're like, all right, I'm trying to be serious here and do my thing, and I'm not gonna, you know, become a star or anything like that. And it's just, you know, you get you kind of talk yourself into this space where it's like, oh, it's just a waste of time not to pursue a creative passion and a gift that was given to me, you know. We'll get back to Richard in just a second, but before we do, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol. Watch out out there. Dangerous. That's my words, not theirs. And no carbonation. Delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting with friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable memories. So, Let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that feels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. 
Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Hopefully, you took advantage of Skybox Sports Picks four and two week in college football last weekend. All you have to do is go online to skyboxsportspicks.com, sign up for a picks package that fits your price range, and boom, you're more equipped to profit. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try college football, NFL. I'd recommend going with the year-long all-access pass, and you're more equipped to profit than you are five minutes before signing up for Skybox. It's a small investment to ensure that you do not lose money this football season. If you're into wagering, it's the only place to profit. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me. And also discounted meats. Right now, the Rippy Wright special is three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation. You're getting there for 20 bucks. Show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up with the Rippy Wright special. Then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meat. It's football season. You're going to want to throw something on the grill and watch all the games. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Richard. Yeah. Amen to that. It's fear of failure, but then when you actually think rationally, it's like, well, what is actually failure? If you're doing what you like, why is that failing? 100%. So, yeah, it's like, you know what? I can do this thing, and I just have this weird thing where I kind of, you know, if I want to, I can sound like the guy from Watchful Fantasy, and I sing them, and it's like, so, and, you know, I've listened to a lot of panic people cover panic over the years and it just I mean it's cool that they do it but it just doesn't sound quite right the vocals do not at least carry all the same notes that uh, happen when you listen to the real life panic in terms of the vocals and it's John Bell's voice you know and uh, I just like you know there were all these other tribute bands and they were you know having a lot of fun doing it and making some money and I was like, you know what, there's space for this, and I'm going to do it. And I was right. But it wasn't so much the success, it's just that I had to do it. Um, it is like, it's hard to imagine not playing music anymore, especially now when I've been doing it pretty solidly for years. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it's kind of like some people have golf and, and I mean, I've played plenty of golf and done a lot of hunting and fishing too, but, but oh man, I'd rather do, I'd rather play music with these clubs any day than do that. Um, and so that's kind of how I spend, you know, free time. And uh, fortunately, my family's really supportive of it, and uh, obviously. And, uh, and it's it's just like it's it's what keeps me sane. It's kind of like that. There's a country theme song actually called "A Hole in My Heart." And uh, I think Brian Ledford was in the band for a while. And he wrote it, and it's like you know, there's a hole in my heart where the music comes from. And uh, uh, you know, he talks about sometimes you spend a lonely night playing for the waitress, and other times you're in the bright lights. And well, either way, it doesn't matter. You're just not going to stop. And uh, it's a it's a really good song. Uh, I think it's on their Y Two Cal album. Uh, it, uh, it 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 struck a chord with me. And there's a buddy of mine that I went to law school with. His name's Doug Miller, and he was a, a Texas country artist. 
college, and he actually had quite a bit of success. And I uh, was doing really well and decided to uh, stop and go to law school. And he, he, uh, he was with me for at law school for about a year and a half or two and decided to quit. But I showed him that song, and he was like, holy crap, that is it. You know, he's like, that is it. That's exactly how I feel. It, the irony of that song is, uh, you know, it's like a, sometimes I, I wish I'd gone to law school. That's one of the lines in one of the verses. And, uh, and then he's like, but if that's what it takes to make it, I ain't got it. And John <laughs> took that to heart <laughs> and, uh, and, and left, man. And now I think he does, he's a, a rancher in Atlanta, Texas, and still plays music. I think I talked him into coming to see a panic stricken show in Dallas in, in November. So we'll see. I said, there's going to be a fiddle player there. So he's like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> That's awesome. I actually know exactly where Atlanta, Texas is. My fiance's father had or has a pharmacy there. Um, and I actually went to their grand opening way back in the day. Not a not a huge town, but I do know exactly where that is. Yeah. And it's, it's a very, very as you finished it, like it's a very at that answer, it's a very satisfying feeling. Like looking back in hindsight with the success that you guys have had now, it's like you look back and you're like, why did I ever, why was I ever worried about doing this? Why was I ever scared to do it? And like once you do it and you have some success, it's a very satisfying feeling. And I want to kind of fill in the gaps between what it started and what it is now is for you. How do you start a band when you decided you wanted to do it? You probably clearly had musical connections, but like, how do you start? Do you just start calling people and being like, I have this idea. How did you actually form the band? That's a really good question. So when I, the bands I had before, I didn't know anybody and basically just found some guys on Craigslist back then. Hey, I want to play this kind of music. This is what I sound like. And some people kind of swam to the boat and then uh, started playing. And, uh, you know, you, you, the people you find, uh, you, you have a good time with and you make good music. And, and as you play around, you, you meet more people. And um, some of the people I met, um, I tried to get into the band I was currently playing in at the time, but you know, they were like they had bigger fish to try. But uh, we became friends nonetheless. And then I guess after wrapping up the band I was in, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this widespread panic thing. And, uh, but uh, I guess, oh yeah, leading up to that, the band that I, that I was in, my uh, brother wanted us to come down and play a show in Beaumont for his uh, high school reunion. And we needed a keyboard player. Uh, and uh, so I got in touch with a guy who at the time was at the Fish, the Fish Tribute Band. They're called a live one. And uh, they're really successful. His name was Wes. He was the first keyboard player. And I got him to come down and play some songs with us. And uh, we rode down all the way from Austin to Beaumont together, uh, about five hours in the car with this guy, four and a half. And uh, we just started talking, and I was talking about his band with him and how it's going. And uh, I said, "What do you think about Austin? What do you think about a widespread talent tribute? You think that might work?" And he's like, "Yeah, I think it'd work." I was like, "He goes." He goes, hey, I like the guys you're playing with in this band, but you're going to need a better rhythm section if you want to do that. And I was like, all right, well, all right, that makes sense. So we finished that gig, and after I got back to Austin, I called some of the guys that I wanted to play with before and told them what I was thinking. And, uh, and they were like, hell yeah, we're in. And so 
I started off with the bass player and the drummer, and, and, and the keyboard player was going to play with us too, but he ended up not. I had to find somebody else to do that job. But uh, uh, we started, you know, once you get like a couple of guys in, then you ask them to recruit some people. And so we ended up, you know, it's kind of like a recruiting job, like in college recruiting, trying to get people to play through your stories. Hey man, I got this band. I think we can accomplish this and this and this. And it's kind of cool. And the music's badass, and and I think uh, I think we can make something happen here. And so you know, you get those guys, and you play, and you play, and you get you get to you get as far as you can and, until everybody is either happy or or, or not. And uh, and we reached one of those inflection points um, uh, about 2018 or so. And, but, you know, during the whole time you're playing as a musician, and especially in a town like Austin, you, you meet a lot of great players and really cool people. And, and you know, and it's just building relationships with folks. And so when it came, came around to it, the, uh, about 2019, uh, the, see, my, at the time, I guitarist was Cam Cummins and uh, John Voss on percussion. And those two guys have been in the band for a while. And my bass player that now, his name's Brady Ray, he was um, he had sub, he would sub in to sub in for uh, shows occasionally uh, when our, our bass player at the time, Kenny Valentine, couldn't make gigs. And uh, so we, we got to know Brady real well and he learned a lot of our material. And then, uh, I guess, yeah, about 2019, my keyboard player, Tom and Kenny and, and Michael had kind of hit a wall and it just wasn't working for them anymore. And, and I was actually thinking about disbanding the project. And within Cameron said, hey, hold up, man. Brady did a band with uh, these two other guys, Max Mosca on keyboards. He's our keyboard player and our, our, our fake JoJo. And, uh, and Connor, they've all, all, the three of them have been in a band together for several years. The band was called Kudu Kudu. And I was like, they've been playing together for a long time and, and, uh, and they're interested in joining Panic Strip. And he was like, well, hell, it's, I guess I'll give it a try. And, and from that practice, the first practice, as soon as it happened, man, it was just like, this is it. These guys, the shit. And you, you kind of cut your second. So that's an interesting point in the band's history and that kind of your path in music, because you mentioned like 2019, it was kind of hitting a wall. You thought about disbanding the band and then you kind of catch on a second wind. And again, a similar par parallel to, to my own personal experience, this whole global pandemic thing happens. I'll never forget. I was right before COVID. I was trying to get, uh, I was in, I took a personal day to go do marketing job interviews in Dallas I'm driving back from one of the two interviews that I thought went pretty well. And that's when the world starts shutting down and I'm kind of sitting there in the car and I'm like, are you, are you shitting me? Like, is, is this really happening now? So you catch this second win with the band and then all of a sudden no one's allowed to leave their homes. How difficult yes. is that to get through? Oh my God. So yeah, we had the practices in you know, 2019. We're jamming. I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. And we had our rollout gig planned at this place and we had hired a videographer and we were going to, have a really cool gig and it was going to be a free show and we're going to have a shitload of people in there and we're going to film it and we're going to rage. And then in March, our, our, I think our show is scheduled for March 25th. 
and then of course COVID hit, and then we didn't do a damn thing for several months. And once you know a little bit of a fear went away, we started uh, resuming rehearsals on my uh, back porch in the house in the afternoons, and uh, I figured it was much to to the chagrin of my neighbors. I, I later found out it was much to much to their delight. Fortunately, but uh, yeah, we, we we ended up working some things, and you know, I think we finally had our first official show with this lineup, and uh, we had it planned for this place, uh, this place in Austin called uh, uh, Rancho Relaxa, and it's these people that had this property, kind of a little ranch property out out on the edge of town, and they were a hit during COVID because their shows were outside, and they weren't a bar, and they didn't have to really comply with a lot of stuff. So, you know, bands were having shows out there. And so we we're going to have our first show in April of 2020, right, guys? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> like three days before the show, man, a, a deluge hits. I mean, it just rains cats and dogs all week, the rest of the week. And so I was going to rain our show out. And, uh, but our uh, John, our percussion man is, is was quick on his feet and we knew some people and found this club that we could play at and they took us on at the last minute and it was great. I mean we had you know hundreds of people show up and we had a big video screen behind us doing a bunch of crazy stuff and, and it looked really good. We actually have several videos of that on YouTube as a matter of fact. Yeah, some of them were really good and some of them, you know, after time you're like, oh maybe that wasn't so good. But, uh, yeah, Panic Stricken ATX is our YouTube channel. Our website is panicstrickenatx.com. And then we've got uh, Instagram, Panic Stricken ATX, of course. And then, uh, I think our Facebook page is that as well. So a little bit of uniformity there. Should be easy to find us. But uh, yeah, ever since, man, these guys have been riding with us. And we've uh, played some really, really good shows. We've gone to Colorado a couple times and played. And, uh, uh, been to Memphis, Arkansas, uh, New Orleans. Uh, played a bunch of shows in Texas, of course, Oklahoma, and now uh, we're adding Mississippi to the mix. And uh, it's weird; it's different now. I mean, you know, in the early years, it was me calling places, begging, begging to play, basically. And now people are calling us. And so can't beat it. Which I imagine is a super satisfactory feeling. That's actually what I was going to ask next is I was curious, like, did you have a big break as the band, whether it was kind of the first iteration or that 2019 iteration? Was there a moment where you got booked for a certain show or whatever may be? Maybe it was a day. Maybe it didn't happen at all. I'm curious. Was there a moment where like, all right, we have something here. We are on our way. Yeah, there was a couple. The one that comes to mind immediately is towards the end of covid some of the bigger venues started opening up, and we got booked at the Granada Theater in Dallas. Yeah, and uh, we um, they reduced the capacity for it uh, because of COVID, and you know, trying to put space in between people. But we sold that out, and we played a killer show. I mean, we absolutely crushed, and it was pretty wild. Uh, wish wish I had a video of that one, but we don't. But, um, that was probably a pretty big moment. I'd say another big moment was um, going to uh, Colorado and playing a three-night run there. And we sold about, I don't know, 800 tickets or so and sold out this one place. And it's a crazy story. 
guy's really weird that owns that venue. And, and uh, at the end of the ride, he paid us some cash. And I had this just shitload of cash, like more cash than I've ever held in my hand. And I felt like I was a drug dealer or something, man. And I was just like, God, I, had, I was like, really? I mean, it was a really weird feeling carrying that money, especially in a place. I was like, ran back to the to the van. I was like, it's like, let's just get this sorted out. And, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable walking around with a, a lot of cash like that. But, yeah, we had a really good gig there. And, and that... The Colorado, uh, you know, interestingly enough, Colorado is probably outside of Georgia is probably the biggest uh, stronghold of widespread panic fans that there is in the country. So your biggest areas are Georgia and Colorado, and and then to you know, then you put Mississippi, Alabama, and Tennessee in there. And South Carolina's got a pretty big contingent too. We hadn't been there, but, but yeah, now you know. Now we're getting private party gigs, which are really awesome. It's probably uh, the best, the best setup for us. I mean, because you know, panic, panic, widespread panic is is a uh, one of those things where like people dismiss it generally, but a lot of people find out when they hear it. Um, um, all of a sudden they're like, "Damn, this music's badass." Yeah, we get that a lot. We get I'll get a complete stranger. Almost every show I get some complete stranger to the music will walk up to me after the show and go, Man, that is some of the best shit I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, Well, welcome to the club. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why we uh we do this is uh it's turning people onto it. And uh but you know, the panic uh, I think uh analogy for Grateful Dead fans was, you know, Grateful Dead fans are people who like licorice, you know. Not everybody likes it, but People who like it, they really, really fucking like it. We will finish up the conversation with Richard Gober here in just a second, but I wanted to take a very quick break to remind you. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Richard. And I feel like yeah. that's the, some case in music to some degree. That's what I was going to ask you next is like, why panic? So I am not that music. I would say I'm somewhat musically illiterate. I like music. It's not something though that like, again, I just uh, really just spend my time doing pointless things like watching 18 year olds play football games and writing about that. But like, I like music. <laughs> I like the history of like bands and stuff, but I'm not like, I have no lyrical ear. I don't really appreciate like sounds and stuff the way I should. My father is a gigantic Pearl Jam fan. He's big into the nineties grunge scene. Actually. Yeah, me too. And what, so was I before I watched for Panic and Grateful Dead and Fish. Kind of so 
he actually uh mercer weekend flew with a buddy to go watch their opening little small tour they have going in minneapolis then flew back to memphis for the game like he's he was going to rio apparently before covid killed that he's a pretty dedicated guy and i really appreciated like his passion for music and so from your vantage point i know you grew up in you know the the 90s go to college in the 90s why why widespread panic what was that for you that made you want to ultimately start a tribute band what kind of i would say made you gravitate toward them Good question. I don't know. From the moment I heard them, like when I listened to the record, a buddy of mine from Georgia, my roommate at the time, showed me. I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. It just kind of sounds like straight ahead rock and roll and kind of got an old school flair to it, you know? And I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. But it didn't really grab me. And then I saw them uh, down in Mississippi State. They played uh, in Mississippi State in 93. And, uh, heard him in concert and I was like, oh, this is more interesting. And it, at the time, you know, as a music fan for most folks, you know, you, the the standard formula um, for even, uh, you know, grunge shows and, and, and most fans, there was not a lot of uh, momentary experimentation with the audience and extended jams or or, uh, I mean, uh, things, I mean, other than the, I mean, like Pearl Jam is a great, great example of a band that they, they mix up their set list some, but bands didn't really do that in the 90s. You know, you saw, if you saw a band, you saw what they were doing in that town, and it's pretty much a, a similar variation of what they always do. And but with uh, the Dead and Widespread Panic and Fish and those bands, uh, Every time you went to a show, it was a totally different thing. And then they, their shows, man, you would only hear a quarter of their bangers. You know? Whereas, you know, most shows you go to, you hear all the bits. And uh, so they kind of leave you searching a little bit. And uh, the, uh, the panic was, you know, it's like, uh, it's got this loud rock and roll aspect to it. They've got this country vibe that they do sometimes. They've got a little bit of a metal vibe, and certainly they play a little bit of funk. And so it's just this really eclectic mix of sounds. And while they play all these styles of music, it's like no matter what, it always sounds like it's widespread punk. You can't really, it's you can't really put my finger on what that is, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, 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 yeah, and then there's a community aspect to it too. Um, people partying and being on the same vibe, so to speak, and uh, a lot of personal connections get developed that way. And it's kind of a it's kind of a way of life. I mean, G you know, Jimmy Buffett is a similar similar thing. God rest his soul. I mean, he 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 has a, a giant repertoire of songs like Watch the Panic and the Golden Fish and. He mixes it up in his shows, and there's a culture. There was a culture around his, his shows, the parrot heads. And, uh, and it's similar. It's, it's like that with the panic. And the lyrically, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of bands, a lot of songs you hear, they're good. And they, they say, the lyrics kind of say exactly what they mean, and they don't really leave you guessing. And wondering what it is they're talking about. And I think that was more of a thing in the 60s and 70s. 
but as as time went on, I mean, lyrical things are a little more obvious in music, especially in pop. But with Panic, their lyrics are kind of obscure, but they use a lot of imagery. And so when you're listening to the words, it, it paints this random story that in your mind that is really interesting and could be interpreted in a number of different ways. So I find, uh, I find that to be a, a really cool aspect of their music. And of course, their uh, the lingering lead, as it's called, um, the uh, continuous guitar solo and improvisation and integration of all the band members kind of listening to each other and, and doing some interesting things in their in their improv. It's just all part of it. And uh it's just a, a total experience. And uh and once you are in love with that particular type of thing, it's it's really hard to uh um really hard to do something else. And uh but, you know, the cool thing now is these days, especially, and even like with legacy bands, I've noticed as I've gone to more and more shows uh, over the years, I've been really pleasantly surprised at how some of these more uh, mainstream bands do a lot more jamming in their shows than they, they used to do or was thought to be the right thing to do at the time. And... Uh, I mean, you know, like uh, one of the better shows I saw not too long ago was Kenny Loggins. Uh, a few years ago, I saw him play, and this band was completely cracked. And they were just, they ripped it. And they jammed all these songs. They played all these really cool songs. You kind of forget all the stuff he wrote. You know, but but uh, and even Pearl Jam now, I mean, they jam a lot more than they did in the 90s, in the early 90s. And, uh, and it's just a it's it's a live performance ethos. Hell, even Taylor Swift jams. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like that's uh, that's a thing. It's a, you know it's it's what makes live music interesting. I mean, why waste that moment, especially with these upper tier bands? You got these super talented musicians, and uh, you got to let those dogs run, and uh, the, the audience loves it. And that's that's what we do. You know, we we try to recreate those moments. And, you know, it's a, a reverence and and, and and getting it exactly right where where it matters in the certain moments of the song. But then you know, after that, we kind of get to do what we want. And, uh, and that's, that's that's really fun. Really fun. Band and history is very interesting to me. We have a very official research department here at the uh, Rippy Rights Podcast. I pulled up uh, Panic's Wikipedia page earlier and started reading through that. And like Wikipedia is fascinating in terms of like capturing timelines because like there's on uh, Panic is like the early years and it's like 81 to 95. And I'm like, shit, that's a that's a ton of early years. But OK, we'll we'll lock in and just see what uh, what they're talking about here. You mentioned when you got to college, you never heard of Widespread Panic. I don't necessarily know what I thought of what Panic was before. Clearly, I knew who they were, knew what band they were, you know, jam band era. But, like, a lot of, like, their, like, seminal informative years in terms of, like, getting on the main stage actually happened a lot later than I thought. Like, for you, when you had heard of them, how big were they? Like, and how big are they now, if that makes any sense, from the time you'd heard of them versus what the band is today? Their arc is 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 really interesting. Um, 
in the early 90s is when things started to really take off for them. Uh, and it, it peaked around 2002 at the uh, Bonnaroo Music Festival. And then they got uh, saddled with some misfortune. It's one of their founding members, uh, the lingering lead himself, Michael Hauser, passed away from pancreatic cancer. And so right at the apex of their career, and at that moment, it just got completely gutted. And, uh, and so, and, you know, when you get to that level, you're booking, you know, your promoters and your agents, your management are booking shows you know, two years in advance in some of these really large venues. And so, you know, they had the show had to go on and, uh, admirably, uh, uh, George McConnell, who is an uh, Oxford mainstay, uh, the founder of Beanland, which I mean, you probably heard of them, that uh, Oxford band from the late 80s and early 90s. And then uh, he's with the Country Kings now and has been for many, many years. Uh, he stepped in and took over for a while uh, before they got Jimmy Herring. But I mean, now, you know, Widespread Panic, they're all in their. 60s almost for the most part and, and uh they they used to tour relentlessly until about i guess 2015 or 16 is when they stopped doing the full regular touring model where you play like 150 shows a year and now they kind of scaled it back and they just hit all their favorite spots a few times and they play weekend rounds and so they just go to a city they like and they play for three days and their fans show up and uh, they play uh, you know uh, nice mid-sized theaters um, and that's kind of where they are and some occasionally they get a, a bigger bigger venue than that but like for instance red rocks they've sold out red rocks i think i forget how many like 70 consecutive times or maybe even more than that. Um, and I actually, the band and I went, went up there and saw their last run at Red Rocks. Uh, that's the venue, legendary venue in Morrison, Colorado. And that's like a 10,000 seat venue. And they sold that thing out three nights ago. I mean, so they're just, they're kind of having a little bit of a renaissance, right? Now. And um, they're, they're going to come out with a new album, I think, uh, shortly. I know they just finished recording it. So, it's kind of nice to see uh, that they're still getting after it. And, uh, you know, it's a, it, they went from like, you know, in 2002, I was like, man, these guys might really be able to make it. And it's kind of like, you know, you and all your friends in college, it was kind of like your pet band. And it's like, hey, man, I was following these guys since they were playing like high school gyms and shit. You know? Which now, is kind of how you get in with a band and understand their story, right? Like it that yeah. when you get in on them early, it's like I knew these guys before they were cool. I read yeah. on you guys' website you actually subbed in for the Real Panic. Uh, one of the maybe minor blessings of the COVID era is they oh, were that, coming to so Austin cool. and couldn't play a show, <laughs> and you guys filled in. How well, how did that happen? Oh man, that's crazy. That's a really crazy. That's I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was one of the very big moments. I'd say that's the biggest moment we've had. Really is. So, yeah, um, uh, they're coming in for those August shows, which was, of course, a, a makeup show, the show that got canceled for COVID. And uh, they were, you know, they were there. The fans were there. And then JB got COVID. And uh, they had to cancel the shows. And uh, we 
had actually been on about a two or three month break because uh, our Dayton Grady had uh, his daughter was born, so we were giving Grady time off and you know, we're letting we're letting him uh, get to know his beautiful little baby girl, Lila, and uh, and then all of a sudden, man, widespread panic gets COVID, and our eight our agent at the time calls us and like, hey. Y'all wanna y'all wanna play at the Empire? All these panic fans are in town and they got no nothing to do. And we're like, well, I, shit, I guess we hadn't we hadn't I literally hadn't practiced or played anything in three months. And uh and so we were a little nervous about that, but we just got together and said, All right, what are the songs that we can all play the best? Let's just play those, see how it goes. And and if some guy uh Filmed the whole thing. Uh, he, he, he has a web a Facebook group called uh, I think Mike Andler's Tiny Hat Concert Experiences or something like that. But he filmed the whole thing, man, and and I watched the thing for the first time in a while uh, about three or four months ago, and I was like, damn, we weren't all that bad. We actually nailed some stuff really, really well, and it was really weird that we were able to do that having not having not played a note of it for three months. It was like a divine providence, so to speak. And then we sold that place out. There were about a thousand or so people there. And they were, man, they had the best time. And people still talk to us about that. We were in Red Rocks and people came up to came up to me saying, man, you guys saved the day. And, you know, all these people, they flew in from out of town and drove in from miles. They had hotel rooms and they're, stuck in Austin and you know and so it was a really quite an honor to be able to uh be able to give them that lift, you know. They, they saved some people's weekends, so to speak. And shit, it was I'd say that out of all the moments in this band, that, that that's been probably I mean that's the best one. And, but it's because of that moment that I guess you know that would probably be the thing that really has uh, gotten people's attention and it has led to what we're doing now. So, yeah. And at that not, point, not I, mean, lot, I imagine yeah. without knowing how it works, like Panic probably knows who you are if you're replacing them on a show. They do. I mean, you know, we didn't replace them at the venue where they were playing at. Right. But, uh, but uh, yeah, they know who we are for sure. We actually, when we did, we went to Red Rocks uh, a few months ago in June. Um, we were uh, the Thursday before their run started. We were doing a charity benefit, uh, and we played a, an acoustic style show instead of our normal electric thing, and uh, to give something different. You don't really want to hear somebody else play regular widespread panic right before you're about to hear about your panic. So that's crazy, but uh, but. Yeah, we got invited up there, and some people uh, flew us up there, and they bought us tickets to other. It was good, man. And uh, but we uh, had a silent auction for our show to help raise money for Conscious Alliance. It was the charity that we were doing it for, and uh, uh, my friend at Straight Music, um, I called him up and I was like, "Hey, man, I think we could get a guitar, and I think I want to try and." Get widespread panic to sign it. They're coming into town before we were going to play at Red Rocks. They're doing a six night run in Austin. And uh, we called and made a few calls and got a guitar and sent it to sent it to our guy at widespread panic and, and they signed it on. So yeah, they absolutely know we exist. But the 
the icing or the cherry on top of that is uh, uh, our, our man, John Voss on percussion, went and ran the guitar up there and uh, got him to sign it. And, uh, and, and he got to hang out with uh, uh, Sonny Domingo Ortiz, their, their percussion player, and uh, took this great picture that's probably on our Facebook and Instagram of uh, him and Sonny just flying around, uh, messing around on that guitar. And it was just a really, really cool shot. And uh, so, yeah, they absolutely know who we are, um, which is great. And they haven't sued us yet. So I can't complain about that shit at all. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's a win-win. That's awesome. That's an awesome point. And you mentioned, obviously, you know, when you fill in for Panic, that's a big point in you guys' moment as a band too. But, you know, you talked about, you know, Red Rocks being a huge venue and that Panic has played there a bunch. And from your beginning journey is starting as a band in 2014, when you guys actually go play Red Rocks for the first time, was there a part of you that was like, holy shit, I can't believe we're here? Yeah, well, we witnessed Red Rocks. We played at a place called Number 38, which is okay. a really, really nice club. And, uh, and uh, now our friends, the Country Kings, uh, they got to play at Red Rocks. They opened for Watchful Panic there one time. So that would be a really thing to talk about but yeah we got to go there and watch the shows together uh for the most part and um, and it was uh it felt like uh they were putting on a clinic for us it was uh they were extraordinary shows uh, and uh, they're they're playing at a really high level right now and I, i'd say uh outside of uh, recommending people will come see us play i, I recommend that people go uh, check them out because they're really they're really cooking right now Give me an insight on what bands think of cover bands in general. I read er, uh, earlier in an article that uh, Widespread Panic is very open about like allowing fans to tape uh, trade shows. And like, it's not the case with every band, but like, what is Widespread Panic view on cover bands like yourself versus like the general industry? I imagine some of it, I imagine most of it is mostly positive, but I've always wondered that. Like, what do bands in general and then Widespread Panic think of like cover bands? Well, I cannot, I, I do not know. I've never talked to them specifically about that. Uh, but if they hated y'all, wouldn't they shut that shit down? Yeah, they would, absolutely. So yeah, that's sure what I'm saying. They're supportive of it. But what, what, is, what does Sonny say to you, John, about, about, about oh, Josh? I think I may have lost him for a second. What did he say? Yeah. So he said, he said they're, 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 they're really into it and supportive of us, and they were really interested in what kind of a, uh, uh, a bid we got to fetch on that signed guitar. I think it ended up selling for like four thousand dollars or something like that. So that's awesome. You know, yeah, so, it was really really cool, man. For you guys, you mentioned like set list. You're a cover band. You mentioned you put your own flavor on things. Obviously, I imagine with the widespread panic, like specific stuff you do. You know, you're not you're probably not straying too much from the uh, you know meat and potatoes and what gets the job done in the hits. How do you kind of form a set list as a cover band? That's a good question. So as a cover band, your responsibility for the most part is to make sure you have plenty of their, you know, bangers in there. So we try to balance it out with some bangers and deep cuts. And uh, we don't get quite as obscure as they do uh, with the song selection, but we, uh, but we mix it up and focus on um, um, <clears throat> playing the songs the best we can. And, you know, you don't want to, my brother, my brother, who's super supportive of the band, uh, saw us one time and we didn't play Tallboy, which is his favorite song. 
And he was very disappointed not to hear that song. And he's like, man, you should never play a fucking show without playing Tall Boy. Those were his exact words. And uh, sometimes, you know, we do. We play that one a lot. Uh, but, you know, obviously on this run, when we're playing three consecutive shows, we're not going to play that one every night. But we, you know, uh, we basically looked at what we know how to play and we just kind of spread, we're trying to spread the, the bangers around over all three shows and, 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 and then the stuff in between, we just, we try to do interesting things with those and do, uh, you know, widespread panic plays a lot of medleys and we do the same. So basically you, what that means is you're playing one song and you jam and then you just continuously go without stopping playing right into the next song. And, uh, and we enjoy doing that a lot. Unfortunately, widespread Prairie fans enjoy hearing that. So uh, it's it's really fun when you're playing and you're you're jamming and everybody's listening. And then we give each other a cue and you just drop right into that next song without missing a beat. It's it's a rush. Uh, How often do y'all surprise each other? How strict is the set list? Do y'all ever just like to hell with it? We'll do this. Uh, occasionally, uh, yeah, occasionally we will, we will set things out on the fly, but a lot of times we, we, you know, we like going in there with a pretty decent idea of what we're going to play, but yeah, certainly, man, if somebody drops a couple of bills in the tip jar and wants us to play a song, we're sure as fuck going to play it, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to disappoint that guy. So, uh, you know, uh, uh. So yeah, we we do substitutions from time to time, and sometimes you know you're playing and you jam it for so long and you kind of lose track of time, but you you realize the the curfew is about to hit and you got to stop playing. So we cut we cut a few we cut a few shows, you know, short of what we planned on playing, but still had a really whale of a time doing it. So it's uh it's just one of those things, you know. So the perfect show for us is like we play everything we plan, we get to do all our jam. And we didn't run out of time. And uh, we do that. That's 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 a that's a big win in our book. And obviously, people showing up and, and hearing it was uh, definitely uh, definitely our favorite thing. Yeah, I mean, you uh, made a comment. Uh, you made a comment earlier about kind of getting on the same vibe as far as panic shows. And look, I went to college. I was not a nerd in college. We'll just leave it at that. On like, what is the vibe of y'all's crowd versus like a panic crowd? I mean, like the cartoonist in me, like making like light of it would be like, hey, they're just handing out acid tabs at the show. Clearly not really, uh, it works, but it cracks me up. Like in terms of getting on the same vibe as your audience, what is that like with the jam band to where, you know, we'll call it getting on the same vibe. What is that like for you guys on a given night? Well, you know, I mean, uh, I'm sure uh, many of our fans kind of, uh, they're they're pretty much identical to the widespread panic scene since the uh, which is nice. They're, they're fans of the band, and you know I'm sure that some people uh, get pretty loose at our shows. Uh, you know I can't can't confirm or deny that for sure. <laughs> but, um, but you know whether they go quite as all out as they do for the real thing, I just I guess it depends on when and where we play. But uh, yeah, we. You know, I'd say the first, like the first big show, I remember the clearest moment playing one of our first, and about, you know, 300 people showed up to it. And it was like the second or third show we played in Austin. So it was like, we didn't get any, we were under a microscope from the beginning. 
I mean, once people heard, it's like, watch for Panic, man. Holy shit. You got to see that. Uh, you know, watch for Panic fans were in Austin who were instantly mobilized. But I remember looking out in the crowd and was, we were playing Wondering, man. And, and, uh, and I'm looking out there and I'm seeing all these people singing along. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, they're into it, you know? And, uh, that's that's a cool thing. I mean, you know, about playing a cover band, and I mean, I can imagine it's just like infinitely more rewarding to uh, see people sing along with songs that you actually wrote. And uh, so, I mean, I guess that would probably be the next thing for me. So, I mean, I I got a little book, and I've got a bunch of ideas and songs and stuff that I'm working on to put together. But, you know, I kind of, I've never really, I've kind of always put that on the back burner a little bit. Um, thinking mostly I don't really have that much interesting shit to say, but, uh, but I know these days I've been doing it more. And I think uh, some of the guys in my band are songwriters, so they're kind of rubbing off on me. And uh, so I'm hoping, uh, you know, we, we play as much as we can, but occasionally we got to take breaks. And so during those breaks, is when I'm gonna try and write a few songs of my own and get some of these great musicians that I'm playing with to help me put the bring those to life. So yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. And so yeah, the vibe is very similar actually to what a last great panic show is like. Um you know, panic fans they love the bars love us because when we bring in the fans, man, you know, last great panic fans like to drink. And uh, oh, yeah. so bar, bar sales are always top notch at our place. So, yeah, that's just a, doing a little plug. Do a little plug there for all you, uh, for all you uh, uh, talent buyers out there. <laughs> One of the last things I had for you, y'all's website is awesome. Y'all have some of the best written bios I've ever seen. So props to whomever created that. Yeah, thank you. Your thank percussionist you. or your percussion guy, John Voss. I, I would be remiss yeah. if I didn't ask this. It, you, you, the way the story goes on his bio is that he jumped up on stage sometime during a show, started playing percussion, and then he was just in the band. Please, how did that happen? Please tell me how how that story went down. Awesome, yeah. So we're playing at this place called the Rattle Inn, and uh, and I see John out there in the crowd, and and uh, and, uh, and he uh, he's out there, and we're playing, and I guess at some point in time. Uh, we were playing Arlene, I think, and, and I'm out there, and I turn around uh, to give a signal to the bass player, and all of a sudden, there's John banging away on the uh, percussion, and our regular, the guy that we had playing, kind of he kind of shoved him to the side, and that guy was just like shaking a rain stick or a tambourine or something, man, and John, all of a sudden, never since. man, and he just got on stage, and he kind of never left. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a joke around town that that's kind of how he's joined every band he's been. And uh, yeah, so yeah, John is uh, uh you know, the, the great thing about John is is you know at the time at the time of that current lineup that he jumped in with, besides me, he was the biggest widespread Panic fan in the band. And uh, well, now you know we got guys, all the guys in the band really like widespread Panic, which is a huge plus. It, actually really matters when you're trying to play the music but yeah john man he's been with us uh i guess that 2015 or 16 2016 maybe when he joined i can't remember exactly but yeah he's a uh 
you know, it's funny. It's after we joined our band, he, we, we kind of got into two others and really uh, come a long way. He's kind of fixture in the Austin music scene now. And, uh, he's, uh, he, he's got these great stickers that I, I have one of them on my amp. It's uh, the Austin's okayest percussionist. And, uh, I love obviously that. He's, obviously, he's more than okay. And, uh, big personality. And, uh, yeah, he's a, a fan favorite for sure. And, He'll definitely, uh, uh, you know, when you're looking at people on stage, he's definitely, uh, definitely a, a big part of our show. Yeah, that's Much that's like amazing. Saturday. And one of the really one of the last things I had for you is I could tell how much you guys enjoy this. I mean, this is probably the first podcast I've done as you guys are traveling in a van to a show. This is a first for me. I could tell how much you guys enjoy this. And now that you've had some sustained success and it's become what it's become, do you have? long-term goals or are you just kind of enjoying the ride what is kind of the current state of panic stricken and kind of what you want it to be in the years to come well we're just kind of seeing where where the waves take us people are paying us more money to play and that's we're always in bigger places because we're playing in bigger places and and uh and you know what we do is we just try to go out there and do the absolute best we can and we see what happens you know and, and uh you know, I'll do it for as long as, as life makes it uh, tolerable for me. And, uh, and, and, and as long as the guys in the band are committed to doing it, and we're all having fun. I mean, we'll just see where it goes. I mean, probably some music festivals will probably be on the horizon. But there's actually a little niche for guys like us and some festivals, especially since the real life spray panic can't play at every music festival. So, I mean, you know, you got J-Rod over there. You know, they they headline music festivals, which would be a pretty funny experience. I don't know if that's going to be something that happens for us, but you never know. So, I mean, all we can control is uh, working on the music and working on our craft and putting on good shows. And as long as people want to keep seeing them and we're healthy and we're doing well, sure. I mean, why not? Just keep on playing and see where it goes, man. There's no specific plan. I, I think that's a little pretentious or, or I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for, but, uh, you know, presumptuous, but, you know, so we just, we just, our plan is, is, is people call us and if the gigs make sense and we can, we have the time to do them and we're going to do them and uh, just keep after it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Man. That's really well said too. I mean, look, I mean, the presumptuous is the definitely the right term. I, me over here, I have no plan. I'm just going to keep writing, doing these podcasts, and just see where the hell it goes. If you're enjoying what you're doing, then you know, just live in the moment. This has been really awesome, man. Richard Gober, lead vocals, rhythm guitar for Panic Stricken. Check them out Saturday night after the Georgia Tech game. And if you're in the Memphis or Jackson area, of course, go see them at their shows on Thursday and Friday there. I really appreciate the time, man. This was a ton of fun. I've never done a pod from yeah. a, uh, a band traveling to a show in a van, and this was a first for me, but this was a ton of fun, man. I really appreciate you doing this, and uh, I enjoyed learning about you guys' story. It's really cool. Safe travels, and I uh, look forward to seeing you guys in Oxford. Thanks for having me, Brian. had a really good time. Enjoyed it.
That'll do it for our show today. I really appreciate Richard's time. I really enjoyed learning about their story as a band, super talented musician, and just a really an awesome guy with a very interesting story. And I, uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We'll be back on Friday with Obi's Greg and the picks. And then, uh, of course, Walter and I will be back in the saddle on Sundays. Thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, it's been a joy to kind of get in the flow of football season and a lot of great content coming your way. So thanks for listening as always, and we'll catch you with the picks tomorrow. And then, of course, on Sunday.